The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for episode 75, July 19th, I believe. Um, and I, I have a special guest. I've upgraded my co-host this week. <laughs> Debbie Blythe, the CISO for the state of Colorado. Debbie, it's good to see you again. Good to see you again. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's been about a year, I think, since we had you as a feature guest on the show. And, and this time you've... Uh, You've upgraded or downgraded to to co-host status. <laughs> awesome, yeah, uh, I was excited. So, uh, so really, before we jump into all the news, I'd love to hear what's been going on with you over the last year. What have you What have you done? Oh my goodness! Well, um, you know, running the security program at the state of Colorado is been a ton of fun. It's like a half-time job, right? Yeah, just part-time. What, what do you do the rest of your time? Um, well, you heard about the CDOT incident, right? <laughs> I did. Yeah. I did hear about that. So yeah. I, that, I was very busy with CDOT for about a month. Yeah. Um, threw me completely a month off all my timelines. And that was a, a couple of ransomware infestations back-to-back, yes. right? Yes, it was. Yeah. And what I've learned about that is that if you don't pay the ransom within seven days, um, sometimes they might hit you again. <laughs> so that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, but we had... Some Someday I'd love to come and talk to you about that because we had a lot of uh, phenomenal assistance, both yeah. at a local level and at a federal level. We had the Colorado National Guard helping. We had the FBI helping. We had FEMA. We had Homeland Security. Um, so I'd love to come and talk to you about yeah. that. That was a great We should do that. Let's, <laughs> let's try and get that here in the next couple months to, to talk about on the show. That'd Sounds be fun. Good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, what, are you, what are you going to try and uh, finish up this year, 2018? As, as Hickenlooper's term ends, any big priorities for the, for the rest of this year? Yeah. So one of the things that we're trying to do, um, and this is across Hickenlooper's cabinet, is really putting good documentation in place mm. for any administration change that might happen. Yeah. Um, so kind of documenting the program and making it, um, you know, a visual picture of what it is that we've done over the past four years and how everything we've done has kind of snapped together mm. um, to create a, a methodology to follow a framework. Yeah. Um, but we're also implementing privileged access controls, um, continuing with our identity and access management strategy. Um, so there's just a lot of efforts underway that we are continuing. We're also going to start doing security assessments for each agency. We're hmm. kicking it off with CDOT. Um, so I'm looking forward to that because it's going to be sort of a deeper look at each agency than we've done before. Yeah. So. Well, that's pretty neat. I know. I'm excited. And obviously when you know we have a new, we're definitely having a new governor come in in 2019. Uh, and depending on how it all shakes out, if it's a Republican, probably a, a lot of changes, I'd assume, across yeah. everything. If it's a Democrat, maybe not so much. Hard to know. Hard to say, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll yeah. keep we'll keep in touch, and we'll we'll hear from you early 2019 whether you're uh, whether you're still there with the state or if you're somewhere other awesome place, then we'll <laughs> learn about that too. Sounds great. Cool. I look forward to it. Well, let's uh, let me start off by going through a little bit of housekeeping stuff. Uh, reminder for everyone, we have a Slack channel, and I know Debbie, you're on there. Yep. Um, this is a place where we have local security folks get together and just share what's going on with them. Uh, some some great conversations this week. I actually just posted in the Slack channel looking for a recommendation on uh, on siding for my house, some siding repairs. Because oh. I don't know 500 people in Denver where I can easily ask for help anywhere else. That's the random channel. That's not the security <laughs> channel. Uh, we also have um, a mailing list, which is which every week we send out the show notes. So if you want to get the show notes delivered into your mailbox, sign up there. Go out to the website, colorado-security.com to sign up. Uh, we'd love it if you'd rate us and review us on iTunes. And of course you can subscribe there. And then finally, we do have a Patreon, um, a Patreon campaign where you can support the show, uh, help us make sure we pay for our funding, get to do cool stuff like buy new t-shirts. Uh, and of course, actually this week we have a brand new, uh, $10 Patreon at the $10 level. They not only get a Colorado equal security shirt, but they also get a shout out on the show. So big thanks to Chris uh, I think it's Galano. Um, Chris, we appreciate your sponsorship and, and look forward to getting to know you here as we go. Um, so with that, why don't we go ahead and jump into the news? So number one on this week's news is that, Debbie, did you know that the Sharks, the Shark Tank uh, show is coming to Denver and looking for folks who want to get on the show? 
That's pretty exciting. They were here last year, and I know I did see a Colorado uh, person on the show. Um, sounds like it's Ju- July 21st, Saturday, and you get an opportunity for a one-minute pitch. Yeah, one minute to, to try and convince them. I, I, yeah. I'd love to try and you know, summarize a, a good idea into one minute. It's probably just the exercise of getting it that short is probably a big part of the success, right? I know it, yeah. Pretty absolutely. cool stuff. So another thing this week, um, the 25 best ice cream shops in Denver was a great article that came out, and I loved it because it was really all pictures. Yeah, I <laughs> So we love, I have two little kids. We love ice cream and, and ice cream shops. And I haven't been to, I haven't been to probably 20 or maybe 18 of these. Um, yeah, so either. pretty cool stuff. And, and I never even heard of a couple of them. The number one is called Sweet Cow on 32nd Avenue. I uh, had not heard of that. Never heard of no. Sweet Cow. Uh, number two is the Inventing Room. We, ha- we have been to the Inventing Room. This is the place where they use... Uh, Oh, what is it? The, the super cold. Um, oh, yeah. Nitrogen? Nit- uh, yeah. Something like yeah. that. Yeah, I think it's nitrogen. <laughs> uh, really, really cold to, to do like, you know, they, they nit- nitri- nitrogen infused like popcorn and, and ice cream and stuff to really get the, the dry ice look and everything. Yeah. So that, that one's over there. It's kind of similar area. Number three, Inside Scoop. Never heard of them. Sweet Cooey, I've been to. That's number four. And then number five is Little Man. I expected that one to be a little yeah. bit higher. I was really surprised... Um, that Bonnie Bray was all the way down at number 13. That's, you know, kind of a, a landmark ice cream shop and not as high as I would have expected on the list. Yeah, well, a lot of good places to try. Debbie, um, do you have a favorite ice cream place? Well, I do, actually. So number 10 on the list is Frozen Matters. Oh. And Frozen Matters is about a block and a half from where I work. Yeah. Um, but what's really cool about Frozen Matters, I've actually never had the ice cream. Um, they have a little speakeasy in the back. So this is, it's a bar slash a ice bar. cream place? Yeah. So what you have to do, you, you go in, the speakeasy is not open till 5 p.m. And you have to know the secret way to get in there. And if you don't know how to do it, just ask the lady behind the ice cream counter. <laughs> She'll tell you. <laughs> so it's not too hard to find how it's to get in. It's kind of a fun little place back there. But, but you're not going to give away the secret on the show that today. Well, I could. How many listeners do we have? Um, well, we should have about 500 over the next oh couple of weeks. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, I'd hate to not be able to get a seat in there. <laughs> yeah, so let's um, keep, it to your, keep it to yourself. Okay, I'll keep it to yeah. myself, yeah. All right. Uh, next, next news uh, story this week. Colorado has moved up on CN- CNBC's top states for business list. Uh, as of this year, we are number five, previously number six. Yeah, I saw that. Um, and in fact, we've been in the top five, with the exception of last year, for the past four years. Um, so that's yeah. pretty good, but not surprising. One of the things that's keeping us from going much higher at this time is the fact that it's expensive to live here in right. Colorado. Cost of living, we got it. We only got a D plus, but we got A's a pluses, A minuses across workforce, economy, technology, innovation, and access to capital. So pretty good. Uh, number one state is Texas. Yep. Number two, Washington, Utah, and Virginia. Yep. Yep. Um, so something I wanted to ask you about is Denver International Airport. They're doing yeah. some remodeling, and you kind of had a experience with that, didn't you? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> we were putting the show, show notes together, and uh, I like sent, sending over the articles to Debbie to take a look at. And I had the DIA story on there, but I hadn't actually read through it yet. And I I, I did this on a flight back to Denver. I got off the plane, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get my lunch on the other side of the of the train. You know, when you get to the main terminal, and I got off the train, and all of the main terminal restaurants were closed. They're all closed. And of course, I read the article and I see that was phase one of, of a multi-phase approach to a big renovation for DIA. Yeah, yeah. big renovation. They said they're going to improve the way that the traffic flows through the airport, um, which I'm really hopeful that that will also mean improving the way the traffic flows through the security lines. We'll yeah, <laughs> well, so that's actually the, the primary change, I think. Um, so they have uh, four different phases. Phase one just got kicked off. Um, basically, they're moving all of the the ticketing booths for all the airlines, they're moving those into a different space. So at the end of this, they're gonna move security, which is now on level five, up to level six to be on the same level with the ticketing booths. And they'll both be on the north side. It won't be a north and south, and there won't be that A concourse security one. Okay. So you'll, you'll get your tickets at your ticketing booth. You know, you drop off your bags, you'll walk to the north side, you go through two different security lines, one on the left, one on the right. And they say that they're using a whole, they're going to be implementing a whole bunch of new techniques that are in play in other airports that will speed up dramatically. Uh, the way the article put it was that, you know, the current security system is kind of a draconian 9-11, you know, quick reaction mm-hmm. versus the new technologies, which can really enhance speed through security. Awesome. But it is a long tail on this. Uh, it looks like, you know, we're not going to expect to see it done through the end of 2021, which is what, like three and a half three and years and a half from years. now? Yeah. 
Um, but the security starts to happen in early 2020. So we got a little ways to go. Yeah. Oh, and I will say one more thing. Uh, the level five where they're moving security off of is going to become, it's going to be inside of security. It's not going to be a accessible out if you haven't gone through security yet. And it's going to have restaurants and shops and she's going to be a big kind of plaza area there. All right. All right. Uh, next piece of news, the CTA has named Franny Matthews as their new CEO. So we had talked to, to Andrea Young, who was the yep. previous CEO, um, and she has moved over back into a uh, private sector role. And, and Franny has taken her place. I, I don't know yeah. Franny yet. Do you, have you met I her? I don't either. I have not. Um, but it's interesting. I read the article about it, and it sounds like she's been with IBM um, in the sales organization for the past, like, 18 years. Yeah. Um, and she described it as a bit of a left turn, but she's actually been on the board of CTA. So I'm sure she knows the lay of the land. I'm sure she'll be great. Well, that should be pretty fun. It, it's it's nice to see new blood. And, and of course, congratulations to Andrea for her new role uh, it looks like she's the COO over at New Cloud, which is a local tech company. Yeah, yeah. Um, next on the list, there was a coal fire blog about the extended privacy protections that has been granted to California residents. So the California Consumer Protection Act. Yeah, I mean, this basically looks like California's answer to GDPR. Right. Um, giving a, a whole bunch of requirements. I, I personally... Yeah, as I do business with California residents, this is going to impact my company and something I'm yeah. really looking at pretty closely. Uh, if you if you just went through GDPR compliance work, it's very similar. Should a help. lot of the same yeah. concepts. The the work you did doing workflows of where all your consumer data is, it's all going to be what you, exactly what you need. The right to erasure, the right to you know to have an asset inventory of all of your data about them. Those are all the same types of things. Yeah, um, the one thing that I noticed. Um, um, if you don't do a lot of business in California, so you, you just have records of just maybe a handful of California residents, it may not apply to you. Mm -hmm. um, if you're a smaller company, you also won't have to worry about it. So they did a pretty good job of spelling out who it does and who it does not apply to. Um, something else you might be interested in is Colorado has updated its protection for consumer data privacy law as well. Yeah. Um, and we are now one of the fastest states in the nation as far as notification for a yeah. data breach. 30 we days. have to do it in yeah. 30 days. So um, um, don't blame me. I didn't have any input into that whatsoever. <laughs> so, so we had Cole Wist, who's the state representative who co-authored that bill on the show a couple weeks ago. And Number one, I thought it was a really good interview, but he also talked quite a bit about how they came up with that number. Initially, it had been, I think he said that the initial draft was he had to get to the uh, to the attorney general within 15 days and you had wow. to you had to notify the the individuals within 60 days. It might have been, thir might have been 15 and 45. But then they said, well, having two different dates was not what they wanted and ended up going kind of a, a, in the middle date for okay. both. Okay. Um, anyway, it is what it is at this point, but... Uh, it's interesting to see the regulatory changes we see coming in. I guess that's yeah. not regulatory. That's just a, a law, right? Right. A, uh, right. St statutory change. Yeah. That's the right word. Well, and it's a faster notification even than HIPAA. And in mm -hmm. the state of Colorado takes precedence over yeah. HIPAA. There you go. So there you go. Um, so we have a, a second blog post from Coal Fire this week. I, I think this is the first time I've ever put two blog posts from one company, but I thought that they were both so interesting and, and really relevant to, to a lot of us. So this one was about uh, the transition to the new SOC criteria, the new SOC 2 criteria. Uh, if you guys have been doing, you know, if you remember like a decade ago or whatever it was, six years ago, we were doing SAS 70s. We moved into SSA 16s. We're now doing SSA 18s. Mm -hmm. um, and the new SOC 2 criteria also is moving uh, away from their old control framework into a COSO control framework. Um, I'm not going to go through all the details of this, but if you have any interest in either um, reviewing SOC 2 audits or in having one done for your organization, I think this is a really good uh, document to read through or post. Yeah, and the one thing that I did notice that seems brand new, um, there's a couple new things that you need to report um, or a couple things you need to report with more depth, let's say. But um, now you need to disclose system incidents. Hmm. Um, so they give some good guidance around uh, when you may have incidents that fall into what they're expecting yeah. to disclose. There. I think they have more third-party due diligence required, right? For your your third parties, and they had a bunch of stuff. I think that's one of the ones I remember. We we've actually transitioned to it at, at Ping, so I I've had to look through it, and uh, that was one of the big changes for us. Re yeah. Remapping our controls over to the new framework. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good. 
Um, so the next article I think you put in there to test my technical acumen, <laughs> <laughs> um, securely logging and tracing HTTP requests in Go. So if you're using Go, and if you're doing debugging, one of the issues that you might run into, if you're trying to debug the HTTP or HTTP request, um, you might, you know, if you're debugging, you're going to send information to your log, and it could include information such as authentication credentials or the security token, which you don't want in your log. So this article goes through and actually explains sort of the methodology of why the individual chose to do it the way he did, and then gives you the actual code of what he did. Yeah. Debbie, you killed it. You, did, you, did, you just killed it. That's awesome. Um, really, what we try and do is make sure we have a few articles that are going to help teach our, our more technical folks something new and give, them, give back to the community a little bit. Uh, it's awesome that Zvelo created this and, and kind of, like you said, uh, is giving this resource out to folks to use. Um, so recommend for those who, who might be interested, take a look at it. Uh, final uh, article here is Webroot has a, uh, has a blog post about three cyber threats IT providers should protect against. Uh, anything pop out to you in this, especially interesting, Debbie? Well, it wasn't anything new. So anybody listening, they're not going to get anything necessarily new out of this article. But I, I did feel like it it um, speaks not just to IT providers, but to all yeah. of us. And it's always interesting to see what kind of threats are on the rise, because then it helps us to tailor our security strategy to make sure that we are you know, responding to those. Yeah, I think, you know, from one reason that they they wrote it the way they do is they try and sell webroot as a as an OEM into MSPs you know the sure. MSPs are a big part of their customer base so they're they're always looking for that you know Google optimization um, as a provider of of SaaS services uh, I think we do have to hold ourselves to a little higher standard we have to make sure we're not just as good but you know better sure. than our, our customers so I appreciate that perspective uh, and it's just interesting to know where they're where they're coming from on that sure absolutely I think the last one is the CISO of the year nominations. I don't That's know. That's right. Yeah. So we have uh, CTA does their their annual Apex Awards. And last year we had the CISO of the year added. Um, and of course, this year, the nominations are open right now. That's right. In fact, they close on Monday, August 6th. So, so a couple more weeks. Yeah, you have a yeah. couple more weeks to think about who you might want to nominate or go talk to your communications or whoever folks in your company and get them to write you up for it. Yeah, we want to make sure we have a really strong group of folks so that the, the judging committee can can find someone good because there's not that many good people. You got to gotta get as many in there as you can, right? Very true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that's it for news this week. Let's go ahead and move over to the Slack message of the week. Uh, this is where we have a, a sponsor, Andre Gaeta. Andre is a, a local security guy who just wants to help the show be successful. And, and he will give the winner of the Slack message of the week one free item from the Colorado Equal Security swag store. And this week's winner is Gene McGowan. Uh, generally, we look for something that either sparks some interesting conversation or is a, is a really great insight. But Gene kind of made me laugh this week. He had a, a Doctor Who quote, which, uh, you know, life is way too serious and I appreciated his Doctor Who quote. So uh, Gene, you're the guy. Um, we reach, we'll reach out to you and give you the details on how to get your uh, how to get your, your swag. Very and once good. again, thanks to Andre Gaeta. Uh, moving on over to events, as a reminder, we do have an event calendar on our website and it is packed out into well into October, November right now. There's a lot of good stuff coming up. So if you're looking for what, I'm, what am I going to do next week? Hey, I got some free time. The family's out of town. There's a lot of stuff that you can get involved with. Yeah, so the first one, um, CSA is meeting on uh, uh, July 17th, so that's this week. Yeah. Um, it should be a good program. It's on threat hunting with Elk Stack. Oh, I love that. I know. I got to get my team over there. Yeah. Um, ISSA Colorado Springs is, has their July meetings on the 17th in the evening. They have uh, their dinner meeting, and then on the 18th at lunch, they've got the lunch meeting. That's great. Dunsec is meeting on July 18th. And that is the kind of laid back, hang out at a at a local bar. I don't, I don't think they've said what bar it is yet. Lately, it's been Ryan House. I don't know if they'll be back there. Um, that's a, a good place to hang out, though. Same night, OWASP Denver has their monthly meeting. So if you're looking for something more formal and more educational, maybe you go to OWASP. If you just want to hang out with some security folks, maybe take a look at Densec. Sounds good. SecureSet is having their career conversations with Allison Lawrence Daly on the 19th. On the, also on the 19th, ISE Squared is having the Data Protection 
industry practices to identify and protect sensitive information. That's, I think they're both at SecureSet. Uh, so I'm not sure how they're doing this because wow. both, I think both, both of those events are happening the same place, the same night. They got, they got plenty of space. They'll figure yeah, it out. Yeah. They have a new nice big location. Yeah, so I'm sure they they'll, they'll work it out. Um, ISSA in Colorado Springs is having a mini seminar on the 21st. Yeah. These are kind of interesting events. They have four hours set aside where it's basically meant this is a place you can go get some CPEs okay. uh, and learn eight to eight AM to 12 PM at, once a month on Saturdays. And it'll be different topics, but usually pretty technical and, and really kind of a concentrated learning experience. That's awesome. Uh, the twenty, the week of the twenty third, the National Cybersecurity Center is doing their Air Force Academy Cyber Camp. This is for kids. It's a uh, a week long camp to learn about cybersecurity. I wish my kids were old enough. It, I think it's junior high is the is the youngest age for it, but it looks really cool. It does. Unfortunately, they are full and on a waiting list. But yeah. if you go to their website, they tell you who to call to get on the waiting list. So I'm sure you can get on the waiting list. <laughs> Make, make a long, long waiting list for Yeah. Me. There's a GDPR meetup at hosting.com, GDPR and compliance as a service on the 24th. Awesome. Uh, on the 26th, SecureSet has their expert series with Douglas Brush. We've had Douglas on the show before. Uh, he's one of the, the leaders over at Kivu Consulting and, and a really cool guy. Yeah, he's actually talking about dealing with ransomware and the attackers behind it. So I think it's going to be a good program, and I'm going to try to get over awesome. there for that. Awesome. Yeah. Um, ISSA Colorado Springs is having CISSP exam prep one yeah. of five on the 28th. So this is this is your chance if you've been thinking about getting your CISSP. Um, a really affordable way for you to get trained up is going to this training. I think if you're an ISSA member, it's it's like a couple hundred bucks, and if you if you're not a member, you have to join to do it. But really affordable. That's week one. Um, recommend you guys get signed up. Sign up early. I'm sure it'll have a good chance of filling up. All right. Why don't we go ahead and jump over to jobs now? Um, we have a couple of jobs that I'll take first. Those are two different jobs here at Ping Identity. We're hiring a director of IT. This is someone who's going to be over uh, all of our desktop computing, our networking, telecommunications. Um, one of the, you know, really the leader, strategic leader for our IT at Ping. And similarly, we have another role there. This one is in our SaaS platform. Our site reliability engineering team is hiring a couple of people who are doing security operations work. So th those folks who are going to um, be kind of the hands-on implementers, the engineers for our security solutions within our SaaS platform. So if you're interested in either of those, take a look at the website and, and apply or send out a note out to me and I can help you get connected. Sounds good. Um, Denver Health has a security analyst three. So this person will be responsible for incident response, for change evaluation, and for security monitoring. Yeah, uh, Logarithm is, is hiring a manager of security operations. There's a couple pieces of news here. This is hot off the presses. This just happened. It's because Greg Foss, who was doing this role, just got promoted into another role within Logarithm doing more research. Um, so it's kind of a backfill for what he was doing working for James Carter in security. Uh, congratulations to Greg. And of course, this is a great opportunity if you want to help run security operations for one of the best security companies here in Denver. It's awesome. The National Cybersecurity Center is hiring a chief operating officer. That's a pretty big deal. It is a big deal. So they got some new funding this year, and this is really an opportunity to have a good impact um, with the National Cybersecurity Center. Awesome. Pearson is hiring a lead enterprise security architect focused on identity. Pearson, the education company, and, and I believe that this is probably in the Denver Tech Center area. And Arapahoe Community College is looking for cybersecurity facility or fa faculty. faculty. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> um, this looks like it's a full-time nine-month faculty in the computer science department. Pretty fun. You want to go teach some some of our next generation of security folks? Yeah. I like it. Good and it's it's cool to see you know. Uh, the local community college getting this too. You know, it, it's been such a narrow set of schools that had it previously. We're seeing a lot more programs. We, we saw uh, Colorado Christian started their program recently. We had, uh, was there was another one in town that just started one. I know Regis has expanded theirs, but a lot of good stuff yeah. going on from an educational perspective. Yeah. Uh, NREL, the National Renewable Energy Laboratory up north in Boulder, is hiring a cybersecurity research engineer. And NBC Universal is looking for a cybersecurity architect. Uh, and then finally, uh, Direct Defense is hiring a security analyst team lead. So uh, opportunity for you to, to run the security analyst team there. Yeah, it sounds like a fun role because it's customer facing too. Yeah. 
I get, you get the combination, customer facing and the technical work. Right. And if you like those two things, pretty good. Yep. Well, that takes us to the end of jobs, which is the end of the newscast. We we are I do have a, a pretty great feature interview this week. Um, Mark Weatherford, who I believe is maybe like three CISOs, four CISOs before you at the state, is going to be our feature guest this week. Yeah, he was the first CISO of the state. Yeah. He actually wrote the statute that tells me what it is that I'm supposed to do. So, um, And I met Mark at... I don't know, some dinner sometime. And yeah. I just really think he's a great guy and it's going to be a yeah. fantastic interview. So Mark was the CISO for the state of Colorado. Then he moved to California and he was a CISO there. I think he moved back to DC and yes. was was working out there for quite a while. Uh, but he's back in Colorado now, somewhere down the Springs or Monument area, yeah. area somewhere down there. Uh, so he and Alex got together and, and did an interview a little bit ago. And I'm glad to get to share that with you guys. Well, Debbie, thank you so much for being the guest host this week and, and really making Alex look bad by how good a job you did. Well, thank you for having <laughs> me. I've enjoyed being here. Cool. Well, we'll catch up with you in a couple of months and get you on the show as a, as a guest again. Sounds great. All right. Thanks, Debbie. All right. Thank you. This is Lucia Turpin, CISO at Polycom. This is Colorado Equal Security for Colorado Security Professionals by Colorado Security Professionals. This is Alex Wood with Colorado Equal Security, and I am here today with a very special guest, Mark Weatherford. How's it going, Mark? Good, Alex. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, first, uh, thanks for agreeing to take a couple t minutes to talk to us today. Uh, secondly, um, you recently became a Patreon supporter of ours, so thank you for that support. I uh, really appreciate the, the support of the podcast. Um, I think some people probably know your name, uh, but for those that don't, um, why don't you tell them a little bit about uh, who you are and, and what it is you're doing today? Yeah. Well, so what I'm doing today is I'm working for a uh, security startup company out in Silicon Valley, vArmor. We do um, cloud and data center security. Um, and, you know, I've been in the security business literally my whole life. Um, I um, got out of the Navy in 2001 after having been part of the information security growth in, uh, in, during the the 80s and the 90s, um, moved back here to Colorado, um, and Governor Owens at the time asked me uh, to come and be the first CISO for the state of Colorado. And, uh, and you know, when I, when I, it, there was literally, there was nothing in place when I got here. Yeah. Uh, and I stepped into this huge office in the Capitol building with a desk and a chair in it, and that was literally all. That and, was all uh, the security that, that we was did. it. That was it. Yeah. That, that, you know, there were little pockets in some of the agencies around right. the state, um, but there was no overall overarching security program for the state. Um, so, I, you know, that, that was an incredibly fun time to be in security. Um, the governor, we didn't have a budget at the time. I mean, I didn't have, the governor had a, a, a little pot of money from, from somewhere. He said, okay, I think it was like $2 million, $2.4 million or something. He said, go build this program. And uh, so we did, you know, we, we hired a few people. I brought in, uh, um, I brought in Coal Fire at the time, a fine Colorado company yep. to come in and help us um, develop the, the state security policy. I worked with, uh, with uh, Senator Ron May and uh, and a couple of legislators. We created the nation's first um, state-level cybersecurity uh, legislation. Um, so, it, so you know, that's kind of my my uh, link to the to Colorado. Yeah. Um, and it was my first CISO job. I left here. Governor Schwarzenegger um, hired me in California to. Uh, to go out and basically do what I did here. Um, so I think it was, it was validation that we did a good job in Colorado. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, California is a different animal than Colorado. Jeez, oh, I'm, you know, I'm sure. We had like, I think we have, at the time, we had 24 state agencies here. In California, I had 100 and, over 160 <laughs> agencies, boards, commissions, departments, you know, et cetera. But, but every one of them had a security program. And uh, so, yeah, it was incredibly um, challenging. So you said um, when you came back to Colorado to, to do this job, were you from Colorado originally or did you have ties here from when you were no, there? No, none. Uh, so it, I was, uh, I built a security operation. When I got out of the Navy, I went to work for Raytheon. Okay. And moved to San Diego and I built a, a big security operations center there. 
um, for the Navy, actually. Okay. And um, and it, I out of the blue one day, my boss said, "Hey, I need somebody to go to Colorado." and work on this missile defense agency program mm -hmm. out at Schriever Air Force Base. And, uh, and you know, I'm like, I'm willing to do it. Right. So I, I moved from San Diego to, that's how I ended up in Colorado. That was in gotcha. like 2003, I think. Um, so that's how I got here. Awesome. So uh, you mentioned that you were in the Navy. Um, I, I believe you did cryptology or, or something similar to that in the Navy. Yeah. Um, what was that like, and what, how did that change from from when you went in to when you got out? I oh imagine there was a lot of, of technological change yeah. during that time. Yeah. So you know, as, as a cryptologist, you work basically in the signals intelligence business. So we're looking at um, taking intelligence out of the air, and uh, and so over the years that grew to networks. You know, I mean, we didn't have hardline networks right back when I first came in the Navy, and then. Um, I went to grad school in the early 90s, and um, I wrote my thesis in 1994, wrote my thesis on information security, um, which at the time, I guarantee, there were maybe, I, I felt like maybe there were like 100 people in the entire world that were, were doing this. So um, there weren't a lot of resources, there weren't a lot of people to talk to. The internet was, had, remember, the internet, just the World Wide Web, was invented in 2000 or, or in 1993. Right. So I mean, there was just nothing there. Uh, but it was just such a fun, incredible time. So from the the evolution between then and then, I would say the 90s were you know the nirvana of security. We were we were inventing stuff. We we're inventing new tools. Um, I, I was my last job in the Navy. I was in at Norfolk, Virginia, at the Fleet Information Warfare Center. And I literally got a call one day from a guy at the Navy Surface Warfare Center. He said, I've developed this tool, um, it's called Shadow. Shadow? Shadow, I think. Um, it's a, it's an, an aggregation tool, a data aggregation tool. I'm like, that sounds interesting. I have so much freaking data, I don't know <laughs> what to do with them. So I just started sending him this, all of the data that we were collecting for the Navy. Um, and he was like, this is the, so he was able to tune the product and, and really make it a, a good product. And, the, and we had installed it around all over the Navy after that. That's awesome. So, uh, so you get out, you go to, go to Raytheon, you eventually end up here, and then you end up at the state. Um, what was the process you went about, you know, essentially starting from scratch? Um, was it uh, was it relationship building? Was it uh, was it assessment? How, how did you try and wrap your yeah. arms around everything that yeah. uh, that you needed to do? It's it's coming into a you know essentially a very big enterprise, right? Oh. Um, and starting from scratch. Yeah, yeah. Well, so here in Colorado, I mean, there were probably a dozen or so people that were doing security within their agencies. Um, some were doing it well. Some were doing it not so well. Um, but I pulled everybody together and I said, hey, I'm the new guy. I don't, I, I, you know, I jokingly tell people all the time, if they would have given me an ex a civics exam before bringing me into state <laughs> government, I would have failed because I, I didn't know how government worked. Um, but anyway, so I brought all these people together and, um, and I said, we need a, an enterprise security program for the state. And when I say enterprise, I mean overarching over all of the 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 elected official or the uh, the the um, executive branch agencies, um, but we also brought in the the Secretary of State and the Treasury because uh, they wanted to be part and and we needed to, them to be part of the organization. So um, we we basically wrote the Colorado Security Program and and it was at, at the time I thought you know it was my magnum opus you know I mean it right. was like this is really good we have. We have um, kind of we've touched all of the equities for all of the different agencies. We've tried to, um, but it was a very high-level program, and you know it said, okay, these are the things that you must do, or you must at least think about. Um, so over the course, and then when Governor Owens left office, Governor Ritter came in, and, and he kept me on, which you know, as something else I didn't understand really. From a from a government perspective, 
typically when an administration changes, they everybody leaves. Right. Um, especially when it's a, a change of the party. So Governor Owens was a Republican, De Governor Ritter was a Democrat. So I was one, I think, of two or three people um, that Governor Ritter kept, kept on. And he brought, you may remember, he brought in Mike Lokaitis as the CIO, and Mike was a fan of mine, and he, and he really wanted me to stay and help him build the, the, um, the IT program for the state. So, um, so anyway, it was it, it, starting from scratch, from nothing to, to where we left it, and, you know, and the piece of legislation was really important. I think at the time, I didn't even realize how important the legislation was, but it codified Colorado as kind of, I won't say a visionary, but we were certainly leading the pack of a very few number of states that were saying, we're going to take security seriously in the state. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit more. What, what was this legislation um, about? What, what, was the, what were the tenets of it? Well, two, there were two important things for me in there. Um, one was it codified the role of the CISO. Um, and it said, okay, the state will have a CISO, and here's the responsibilities. And it laid them out. You know, here's what the CISO is responsible for. And my introduction to the, to the sausage making of legislation, you know, they wanted to make me responsible for everything. And, and, and I said, I'm happy to be responsible for it if you give me the authority to, to, you know, to address the issues. Well, as you, you know, the, probably one of the, the biggest challenges, and I had this in California in spades, is um, state agencies don't want to lose their control. They don't want to lose their authorities. So, so we had to water that down just a little bit, the responsibility. And, and I never had direct responsibility over the CISOs in the agencies. Um, it's kind of dotted line to them. They still work for the secretary of that agency, but I could kind of help them and, and help them right. you know, move their chess pieces around. So that was the first thing, was, was the role and, and responsibilities of the CISO. The second thing was establishing a budget, because if you don't have money, you, yep. Not you can't do anything. anything. So, so we actually carved out and created a budget for cybersecurity, information security, um, at the time. And so th that was another interesting thing and, and, and a lot of my friends even today hate me for, for this, but um, when we created the office, it, we were called the Office of Information Security. And I literally could not get the time of day uh, from anybody. Yeah. One day it just struck me and I said, I, I think I'd been talking, maybe it was with Senator May or um, one of the other legislation, and I was talking about cybersecurity. Whenever I said cyber, all of a sudden people's eyes lit up. So I'm like, I changed unilaterally. I didn't even ask anybody. I changed the name of the office to the Office of Cybersecurity, and all of a sudden I had credibility. Yeah. I'm like, you know, so it was a lesson to me, you know, that, and even though today, you know, I think cyber is is way, way, way overused. Um, I'm not a big fan of the term myself. I know, but um, but you know, <clears throat> it, most people do know what it means, right? If you know, inside our industry, if you said information security, people would know you're talking about. If you go outside of, of someone that's in the industry, you say that they're like, oh, so like uh, exactly you, you deal right. with like paper records and stuff like that. Exactly um, right. So I mean, I I get it, even though I, I hate the word itself. Yeah. So yeah, eh, it, it it is what it is, right? Um, so you were in Colorado, you left, you went to California. Uh, what did you do after that? So um, I had planned to come back to Colorado. I mean, I didn't really know what I was going to do, but I, you know, we had still had a house here. Yeah. I, I kept my house when we left. And uh, Mike Asante was the chief security officer for the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, NERC. You know, they, yep. they oversee all of the electricity industry in the United States, in North America, I should say because Canada as well as the US. So Mike called me one day toward, it was, it was like, I think it was probably June. The elections in California were in November. Schwarzenegger was out of office in November. And uh, so I, I knew that I, you know, I, was, I was planning to come back here. Well, Mike called me in June or so and he goes, hey, I'm leaving NERC. I think you should apply for the job. I'd really, you're, you're the right guy to come in and, and help the electricity industry. I'm like, Mike, but I don't want to move to D.C. And he's like, oh, don't look at that. Look at the job. 
So anyway, um, he put my name in. The CEO flew out to Sacramento um, and met me and interviewed me and offered me the job. Wow. So I moved to DC, um, worked at NERC, and it was literally it was the best job I ever had. It was the most fun working with people who truly care about um, security and reliability and safety um, in the electricity industry. There's about 3,000 utilities in North America, um, and I had influence over them. I mean, you know, one, I was, I was responsible for developing the critical infrastructure protection standards for the industry, but I was also responsible for enforcing those standards, which a little bit of a, di a dichotomy there, I mean, but we were able to firewall it off fairly well. Um, so anyway, I'm, I was at NERC and then um, out of the blue, I get a call one day and, and somebody says, um, hey, hold for a, for a call from the White House. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah right, uh, who's screwing Who's calling here? me? And uh, certainly this guy comes on and he says, hey, um, your name has been recommended to us as a potential candidate you know, to go to DHS and run the security program there. And, uh, and, and I did, I said, you know, who is this? Right. And he said, no, 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 really, this is a serious call, serious question. I'm like, so he explained what they wanted to do. And I'm like, well, you know, I would love to come and do that, but, um, but I'm not sure I want to go back into the government. You know, I'm really enjoying private sector life. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, they convinced me to come in. And uh, so I took the deputy undersecretary job at DHS for cybersecurity. And, uh, and now my mind was really blown. I uh, bet. And it, I, I bet for the first six months every day, or every week at least, Somebody would come in and say, hey, do you know you're responsible for this over here too? And I'm like, holy crap, I didn't know. I, I didn't ask enough questions in this right. interview process. Um, but, uh, but anyway, it, you know, it, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal time. Um, we were doing, um, it, my role there was, so not only did I, I worked with all federal, civilian federal agencies um, the civilian being everything except DOD and the intelligence community. So, you know, all the agencies have their own CISOs, um, and, and I worked with a lot of them and a lot of the CIOs. Worked with the legislature, the, the Senate and the House on a, on a number of pieces of legislation. Um, but the real fun part of that job was there were 18 defined critical infrastructures. Um, there's now 16. At the time, there were 18. And working with the private sector in these critical infrastructures in the private sector was the most fascinating and rewarding thing I've ever done in my life because I worked with a lot of companies that really hadn't addressed security at all in their, in, in their sector broadly. So yeah. being able to go in and work with the, the information sharing and analysis centers and the individual companies in those sectors um, was really rewarding. You know, you could go in and, you know, in our business, usually when the when the security guy shows up, it's never a good thing. They really they really embraced what we were doing at DHS and trying to help um, the the private sector. So that's awesome. Um, so you left there about 2013 ish. 2013 it's, went to the Chertoff. Uh, right about. Um, well, just just about when the executive orders for NIST cybersecurity framework came out. We wrote, um, I wrote the first draft of that. That's awesome. Um, we started working on that in August and the president signed it in February. That, that is great. Yeah. And there have been a lot of things that have happened since then. Oh my gosh. Um, what are your feelings on how that, how DHS and the, the role that the, the federal government has taken around cybersecurity uh, since you've been gone? How, how do you think that that's been progressing? Yeah, I mean, so, uh, well, I think it's progressing nicely, and it's never fast enough, right. you know, and that's the challenge. Um, it takes a long time, you know, I mean, it, you look at that, it took eight months for, for us to write, six months for us to write that executive order and get it signed, and, and I can tell you, that executive order did not have everything in it that I wanted in it. Um, and, I can imagine. And, and, and in fact, I, in, I will say, you know, I was critical of the executive order when it first came out, because I thought, you know, no one's going to pay attention to this. But 
I'll admit I was wrong. I mean, the, the, that executive order has really kind of um, coalesced a, a lot and it's really brought the private sector in. It provided a framework that private sector could say, okay, we get this. This is it's easy to follow, relatively easy to follow, yep. and the government endorses it. So, you know, there's, there, could it have been better? Yeah, it could be a lot better. But it, I think it was a good first step. But the, the problem is, is now we're looking 2013, 2018, five years has gone by. Slow, small. You got to keep the pressure on it. I don't, things, but I nothing, don't think nothing huge, right? The White House has not kept the pressure on uh, agencies the way they should. I think. Yeah. Uh, I, we can always do better, right? Yeah. We can always do better. Uh, so, so from there, you, you left and you went over to the dark side. You, you went over to to the vendor side, consulting, <laughs> and all that stuff. Uh, what what made you take that move? Well, so um, coming up. You know, the elections were in 2012. Yeah. And, uh, and as an appointee, um, if the president didn't get reelected, I was out. So in August of that year, I started looking around and, and all, I realized, man, there's a lot of really cool jobs out here. And, and um, I mean, some seriously good, fulfilling jobs. I mean, where you could really make a difference. And, um, and Michael Chertoff, who, you know, he, he was the, the second secretary of Homeland Security. I never worked for him. I worked for Janet Napolitano. Yeah. But he had gotten out and he had started this consulting company and the cons totally 100% focused on security. And so he wanted to build a, um, a, a, a cyber practice. So he asked me to come in and, and help them to do that. So. Um, you know, I, of all the different things that I'd looked at, all the different jobs that I'd looked at, this one, I'd never been a consultant. Um, and I, I honestly, I didn't know if it was a, if it was going to be a good job or a bad job. It looked fun. Yeah. It looked like I was going to get to work with a lot of people and, and it did. And that was the, that was the beautiful thing about that. I, I mean, we work, you know, the Chertop Group is kind of a, a pretty premier boutique-ish consulting company. And, kinds of gets to pick and choose a lot of their customers right. and we worked with a lot of fortune 100s fortune 500s and it was really fun to me to be able to work with them i will say though and you know your audience will not be one bit surprised by that fortune 10 companies fortune 100 companies they ha are every bit as challenged as as what i call the unfortunate 5000 well know? and i think even more challenged in some ways, right? Yeah. You know, you may not have paid attention to cybersecurity before if you're a smaller company, but once you do, you're probably pretty nimble and can make some changes that are going to help you out a lot. Yeah. If you're a, a gigantic, uh, you know, fortune, you know, double digit, single digit company, uh, you're going to have a whole lot of process, a whole lot of things that are legacy, a whole lot of things that it's going to be hard for you to make a lot of headway on. So, you know, you that that is like so astute. In fact, Coalfire just put a paper out, a report out on this last week or two weeks ago um, that, that kind of validated a lot of what you just said. And, and over a period of, I think, six or eight months, they had done 300 uh, pen tests. And they, they looked at these 300 pen tests and they, the results came out. What, it, the, the kind of the medium-sized companies actually had the best security programs because they're the ones they had they had a, a codified program, which meant they had a budget and they had responsibilities, but they weren't encumbered by the bureaucracy uh, that a large company is. Yep. And they, they had more um, support than a small company did. So that there's a sweet spot in there. And, and the medium-sized companies really do, in my, in, at least in my experience, they have better security because they're more focused on it and less, you know, yep. have, have the less challenges that big companies do. Yeah, I, I have worked in large companies. I have worked in small companies and it, it is always a challenge just oh. getting things done in big companies. It's not, not whether there's a desire or not, not whether there's support, just actually getting the, the work done is always hard. Yeah. Well, and I won't name it, but you know, there's a big bank that couple of years, like two, three years ago, said they're spending $500 million yeah. a year. I talked to people within that bank and they're like, it's a disaster. We, you know, we, we have a lot of money, but 
we can't actually spend it efficiently right. because of the bureaucracy of the organization. Yeah, it's rough. So, um, so now you are working for a startup. Um, I also know that you are a um, an advisor to also a n number of other startups. Mm -hmm. uh, how how's that been? How's that process been? Well, I guess I would say um, anybody that's working in a startup will recognize this. You have your worst days and your best days, sometimes on the same day. <laughs> um, being in a startup is not for the faint of heart. I mean, it, it really is, I mean, it, it's a challenge. You know, every day, especially when you're a new company, um, you spend most of your time, you know, trying to get people to recognize you. Um, you have, part of the company is developing the product, the other part of the company is trying to market and sell the product. Um, and you never, you never end up where you started. And so, I mean, uh, over a period of time, the, not, not just the technology evolves, but the market evolves. Um, and not just your technology, but the right. broader technology market. So um, it's been, you know, for, for an old guy like me that's been doing this for a long time, working in a startup has been the most invigorating thing I've ever done. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of the evangelist for the company. My, my job is really to leverage my relationships, get out and do a lot of speaking, um, which has given me, quite frankly, given me really a, a lot of insight into what other companies are doing, what other technologies are, are doing in the space. And um, as you said, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm advising a number of companies. Um, and I've tried to keep the overlap between the, the companies um, um, fairly distinct which means I'm looking at a lot of different technologies. Um, everything yeah, from, fun. you know, from supply chain risk management to identity management to control system visibility to a, to physical security, literally across the map. And it's it's um, it's it's been amazing to me because I may be talking to a customer for one company, and I realize, holy cow they could use this other company's technology today. Um, so I'm able to leverage those relationships, I think, in a really interesting way. The other, inter the other interesting thing that, that I've done is being in Silicon Valley, um, you read about this a lot, Silicon Valley is a really weird place. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it, there's a bubble around Silicon Valley that people that have, that have been there for a long time it's almost like being in D.C. D.C. thinks that this little, you know, this ring around D.C. is its own world. Yep. And it's the same way in, in Silicon Valley. They don't realize, most of them don't realize that there's a whole big world out there that doesn't revolve around developing new technology. Right. People actually have to use this technology. <laughs> and uh, so I think that's, you know, part of the value I bring. Again, certainly have, having been a, a CISO and a CSO three times. Um, having to deploy stuff, actually have to make stuff work um, is a, a big value that I bring to the companies that I work with. Is that the biggest challenge that you see for startups? Um, you know, it's one thing having a great idea. It's another thing to, to make that idea work for the people that need to use it. Yeah. Do you see that's one of the biggest problems that startups are having? Yeah, and, and, you know, so working with really smart people um, is, is its own reward in many respects. But working with, I mean, working with a, a small company of say 10 or 15 people that are really focused on a particular piece of technology and having a guy like me, and I tell them when I come in and say, if you don't want my honest opinion, you don't want me you know, advising you because if I say, that's a, that's a great idea that no one is ever gonna use. Right. You know, so I think a lot of a lot of tech companies they need that that kind of honest feedback um, because too many companies I think spend too much time and money getting to a place before they say holy crap this is something that no one's gonna buy right um, great idea and 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 at the same time too though and I, I, I will say that sometimes people are just ahead of their time you know they they have an idea or have developed something that the market is just not ready for yet. Um, 
Yeah, I I definitely see that uh, fairly often. That yeah, either it's people aren't ready for that idea yet, or the company thinks that the idea is fully baked and it's only you know it's oh only part God. of the way there. Yeah, or yeah, and and, and the. It, uh, go back to what I said a second ago. You know, where you start is not where you end. Um, I see a lot of uh, tech start affect almost everyone. I, I may not even be able to think of an exception where what they started, the idea or the tech that they started with, didn't evolve into something else. Sometimes right. wildly different, something else. Um, and you may have th thought you were starting a um, an identity management company, and the next thing you know, you're developing a, a SaaS solution for for identity, um, which is completely different than, you know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, along with seeing all the, the startups, uh, you know, you mentioned that you get to talk to a lot of different organizations and, and what they're doing. Are there any commonalities that you see for for challenges that organizations are having, you know, either particular areas of uh, that they're struggling with with security, whether it's, um, whether it's program related or technology related? Are, are there any sort of big trends like that that you see? Um, well, I think the biggest technology trend today is the cloud. Um, and there's, I, I still talk, there's one guy that has, is developing a, a piece of hardware and, and I keep telling him, dude, the, this, is, this is a solution's dead on arrival. Right. Um, Great idea, you need to make software out of it. You know, Mark Andreessen said back in 2013, software is eating the world. Yeah. And it couldn't be more true. So, and you know, today you can, this is, the, this is the most unbelievable thing to me. And Silicon Valley gets this really well right now. You don't have to own anything anymore. You can buy any, you can buy anything. You can go- Or, or rent. Or rent. Yeah. You know, any, nobody's building, you know, server closets anymore. Yeah. I mean, you may have a couple of servers on, on site, you know, that you need for, uh, for some testing or for something. But for the most part, you can, you can go to Amazon or, or Oracle or Microsoft Azure or Salesforce or, you know, or ServiceNow or Churwell. You can go to any of these companies and buy everything you need to run a company. Um, so, I don't know if that answers your question, but you know, I think there, there's, you know, there's a there's a recognition that a, a growing recognition that um, that that the technology is evolving and the cloud is is the future. You know, I mean, it is. It's the cloud is the future. Do you see people, uh, security people specifically, finally embracing that? So when you know, when the cloud first came around, uh, everybody's like, no, no, no way, we're not doing that. I don't have any control over that. That that gives me the heebie-jeebies. I, I you know I can't give up the control that I have now to let people uh, to go to the cloud or anything like that. Do, do you see that the tide finally changing in that area? And, and I'm going to give you two answers, and they're probably conflicting answers. The answer, first answer, is yes. Tremendous um, um, growth to the cloud, and uh, I'll give you an analogy. 2009 my first big meeting in the state of California. I'd gathered all the CISOs and, and security directors together, and I gave it this, I thought it was a rah-rah talk, hey, we're gonna work together. But I can remember saying, um, and by the way, we need to be thinking about the cloud. You know, we don't really know what it is, but there's something there. Um, and I can remember when I got done, it was like there were three or four people just like, they almost ran up to the front to the stage, and I thought they were going to attack me. And, and they basically said, over my dead body, will I ever move my agency's data to the cloud? And I said, be careful. I, you know, I, I don't know, but I just think there's something here. Yeah. So, so, so back to the second part of this. So I, I, there's a, a tremendous recognition today in 2018 that the cloud can probably do security better than most people. Um, uh, the second part of that, and, and I see it in my company, VArmor, right now, there's, there's a bit of a trend to say, okay, we've moved this to the cloud, maybe we shouldn't have moved everything to the cloud. So people are pulling back a little bit and, and bringing stuff, some things back on-prem. Um, 
because it, it, there was a, you know, the, the, um, the conversation about moving to the cloud four years ago was all the flexibility that would get you. Well, I realized you, you can still get locked in yeah. when you move to the cloud, so. Well, I think the other thing is, when it first came around, a lot of it was, uh, oh, it'll be cheaper to be in the cloud, and the other was, it's, it'll be flexible. And I think people, some people are realizing, one, well, maybe for certain things I don't need to be flexible. You know, it's 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 going to be what it is. It's not going to change. I, you know, my usage is not going to go up and down. Yep. Um, I, you know, I'm not going to get. And then the second part, I'm not going to get any cost savings by putting it in the cloud because I can't spin it up and spin it down. Yeah. I can't. I, I don't need to move it to you know this region or that region or have it available over the world. It's it's something that's really simple um, and it doesn't really need to be there. So is that kind of the reasons you're seeing for yeah, people? Yeah, and, and I will say, you know, honestly, you know, and when you think about virtualization in general, yeah, um, virtualization, you know, VMware started way back in 1998 with you know the first virtualization technology. We're to, now everything is virtualized. I mean, you know, there's still a few physical. Actually, I sh there's still a lot of on-prem physical stuff that is going to be around forever. Um, but it's really easy to take virtualized environments and build, I mean, it's, you're essentially building your own on-prem cloud service. Right. Um, so that's why I say a lot of people are coming back and saying, okay, you know, exactly to your point, some stuff, it works really great in the cloud, but some stuff, maybe I don't need that flexibility. And, or maybe I need the flexibility that I decide, not what the cloud decides for right. me. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm seeing that a lot too, um, and I was someone early on that, that thought, all right, th this makes me really nervous. Uh, <laughs> I I don't want to do any of this, and then and slowly I got to see that the you know the power that it could have, and I think to your point earlier, most of the time the these cloud services are going to do security a whole lot better than I can do. Oh it. my gosh! Uh, they've got so much more money. They've got so much more data. They've got all the, the resources they could possibly want to get this, to make sure that this stuff is secure. Um, and uh, and I have choice, at least yeah. it, initially I have choice, right? You, know, maybe you mentioned the, the lock-in piece, which you know you could get locked in, but there, you know, if I can say, hey, there's three vendors that can provide this service for me, you know, which one has the best security? All right, well, let, let's use them. That gives me a lot more power too. Well, um, and to your point, you know, if Google has a bad day, that's a bad day for thousands or millions of customers. Right. If you have a bad day, that's a bad day for you. So Google is highly incentivized to build a product that's bulletproof. I mean, they have, I read this a couple of months, they have over 800 security engineers at Google. That's you know, crazy. Nobody, nobody can compete with that kind. Of, and, and, and I remember saying this you know, back in, when I was in California, it's, it's, and talking to CISOs, it's not that you don't know what to do, it's not that you don't want to do a good job. You just don't have the same kinds of resources to compete with the cloud service providers. Yeah, yeah, um, and the speed with which they can come out with new, new services yeah. too. It's yeah, uh, you know, we have uh, we have some Microsoft services, and I feel like every other day there, there's something new that just pops up that. Um, you and know, and you know what? Security is only going to get better in the in the cloud. The, I mean, again, they're highly incentivized to provide security that's bulletproof. Um, and, you know, it, it, we look at things like, you know, it, I, 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 my, the analogy, I don't know if it's an analogy, we have always used segmentation. We've always had segmentation at our disposal as security professionals as one of those tools in our toolbox that everybody should be using, by the way. Yep. Everybody should be using network segmentation. But with, with, um, virtualization now we have this whole idea of micro segmentation where we can segment individual workloads and then we can deploy policy across an entire enterprise um, to individual workloads that is powerful security right there yeah. I mean I mean if I can secure an individual workload on a hypervisor and in in the segmented, micro-segmented away from all the other workloads on that hypervisor, that is powerful security. Yeah, d definitely something that we couldn't get before. Um, so we're getting close to running out of time. Uh, there's never enough time. There's never enough time, Mark, never enough time. 
Um, anything else that, uh, that you wanted to touch on that we didn't talk about already? I mean, I, the one thing I would say is, you know, Colorado has an unbelievable tech community. I don't think, and I tell people this all the time, um, that you know, people look at Silicon Valley as the center of the universe, and it really is not. And you know, one of the things that that many of us are trying to do, something that you know that you and Rob are doing with this podcast, is trying to expand the the visibility of the tech community in Colorado. You know, Governor Hickenlooper um, set up the National Cybersecurity Center last year. Um, they are, it's, it's an amazing organization that's going to really, I think, bring some visibility into this, in, of, the, of security specifically, um, not just tech, but security specifically to Colorado. And, um, you know, there's a great group of people running the National Cybersecurity Center, and the governor is supporting it, uh, the legislature is supporting it with, with funding. Um, working closely with with the um, University of Colorado Colorado Springs, and so I, I, you know, I really would like to see. And I said that when I, I tried to do something when I was the CISO here, um, to work with the Office of Economic Development to actually put some some funding together to to start attracting. I think we're at that point now where we can do that. One. It is so expensive to live in, in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Um, even though they're still able to attract a lot of talent, Colorado is, I mean, Colorado is a place where people actually want to live here. Um, <laughs> you know, so why not bring the jobs here? And you know, the cost of living here is, is you know, a lot better here than, than in Silicon Valley and a lot better than in D.C. The, you know, the D.C. metro area, Virginia, Northern Virginia and Maryland and D.C. is really becoming a tech hub in, in itself, mostly to support the government, but there's a lot of really innovation happening. But it's very expensive to live there. And I think, you know, Colorado, one of, the, one of the, the biggest benefits to me personally, to Mark Weatherford personally, when I moved back to Colorado from DC was, I am halfway in the, in the, in the, uh, in the United States now. I can fly to DC in three hours or I can fly to San Francisco in two hours. So now I don't have to spend a, a day flying back and forth coast to coast. Yep. Um, so Colorado is, you know, it, 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 I tell people, this is a place actually people want to live. If we can build the right environment, we can start tra attracting more tech uh, into the state. Awesome. Here, here. I'm all for it. Well, thanks a bunch, Mark. Uh, appreciate your time. This has been Colorado Equals Security, and we will talk to you next time. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado Equals Security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.